Now, The Interpreter Show, with discussion, debate, and the latest information on all kinds of religious issues and topics. Good evening, everyone. This is Terry Hutchinson with uh, John Gee, my co-host, and Kevin Christensen. Good evening, gentlemen. We want to go to the next segment of our program, Kevin, and that is uh, our gospel advocacy section. And this week, we uh, would like to begin by talking about these theories that continue to come out about where did the Book of Mormon come from. I mean... And they keep coming. You know, I was, I was uh, t- talking with someone who was saying, oh, I just heard about this book called The View of the Hebrews, and that the Book of Mormon comes from that, because it was a novel that was written before Joseph Smith did the Book of Mormon, and, and it talks about the Israelites coming to America and all these things. Where can I get one? <laughs> I said, well, um, it's been printed, and, and you can buy one, and... And they go, who, who? <laughs> well, this is a little before the Internet. I said, and they said, where can I get it? Who published it? I said, BYU. <laughs> and they said, what? Why would they do that? I said, because the Book of Mormon didn't come from the view of the Hebrews. And yet we continue to get these allegations. And then if that doesn't work, you get the Spalding Manuscript, or you get the Book of the Late War, or you get some of these things. Kevin, tell me why did these things keep resurrecting? Well, you want, do you want to have, you know, basically the sponge theory of the Book of Mormon, that if it's just something that Joseph Smith could have squeezed out of his environment, then it's not miraculous. And uh, so the question that, that I've always brought to it is, is uh, well, it is an explanation of the Book of Mormon, yes, but is it the best explanation? It has to be, and, you know, best means you've got to be doing a comparison and so, uh, it was, uh, when the Robert studies were, you know, formally published in 1985, and I always thought that was interesting that that was also the same year when Sorensen's Ancient American Setting for the Book of Mormon came out. We were talking about B.H. Roberts, right? Yeah, the B.H. Roberts study of, of the View of the Hebrews, and that, and I, I read View of the Hebrews, and I read the Robert study, and I, that's what led me to Vogel's Indian Origins, and which led to me starting to publish some other things. But um, so there's been a lot of attention given to this by LDS scholars, and like one of the best ones still responding to to uh, view of the Hebrews, you know, besides just reading uh, just general scholarship to be more informed about what the Book of Mormon actually says, uh, John Welch published an essay back in I think 1984. Oh no, 1985, yeah, called "Finding Answers to B. H. Roberts' Questions," and these are questions about the implications of view of the Hebrews the Book of Mormon and an unparalleled. So he goes through systematically uh, all of the questions and concerns and then places that in light of things that had been learned since uh, Roberts's time and, of course, also since Von Brody's time, since she used that theory to a degree in her book. And it was, uh, and there were a lot of people that are just, you know, the idea, well, it's it's about a Hebrew origin for the Indians, and, uh, but it's different Hebrews in a different time. And these are differences that make all the difference. You referred to the BYU Studies uh, publication of View of the Hebrews. 
and there's a really good inter uh, review of that publication in the Old Farms Review of Books by, I believe, Andrew Hedges. And uh, I'm going to see if I can find his statement that he makes in there. He says, uh, and he talks about how that there's, he says, uh, the tradition in which Ethan, Ethan Smith, it's not a novel, it's more like a, 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 a theory, theoretical book with some, you know, trappings of science and scholarship, but not really a lot. But it's just such a tradition identifying American Indians with Jews as early as the 16th century. And he says it gets passed along for you, you know, from author to author, from years to years. And he says, a close reading of Jude here suggests that while some aspects of this reconstruction could be debated, it is generally so complex as to be quite inflexible, based as it is on a relatively conservative reading of the biblical text and a number of suppositions so independent that if one should prove false, the whole model would collapse. Any modifications would have to be relatively small and insignificant which explains why the basic outlines of the model remained virtually unchanged for over the course of two centuries' worth of discussion. For example, churchmen over the centuries could and did debate how much the Mosaic Law the Indians as lost tribes had retained after arriving in America. They could do this because such debates did not alter in the least the basic structure of the paradigm, which posited a pre-Christian migration of Israelites who had some knowledge of Old Testament practices. The churchmen did not, however, at any time debate the possibility that the Indians' ancestors knew of Christ's birth before the event, had engaged in such uh, New Testament practices as baptism in Old Testament times, and had been visited by Christ after his resurrection. This was because the mere suggestion of these things would have done violence to their understanding of the Bible, contemporary evidence from the Indian cultures themselves, and other parts of the model. And of course, the Book of Mormon does all of those things and much, much, much more, you know, as, as if you, you know, read into these other uh, responses to it. So it's not something to be afraid of or to, you know, to be sensationalized at this point. It's just a part of, uh, you know, some, uh, cultural history that with, uh, with a long history and some people who have taken a very close look at it. And I think the LDS scholars, since, you know, we live in the house, we live in the culture, we're the ones who have taken the longest, closest look since we're not just trying to, you know, to say nothing to see here, folks. We're just trying to say, well, let's take a look. And it, it's not anywhere sufficient, and it's not close enough to provide, you know, to explain what we've got in the Book of Mormon. Yeah, that, John? Well, it's interesting. There, there are two kinds of things that come up. We, one of them, I think, is that because every person who comes on this at some point it's new to them. And you can, you can publish a response, but the issue, um, for lots of people will be new because they haven't happened to hear They never it heard about it. Right. And so it's been dealt with in a number of different ways. Um, Years ago, let's see, this is back in um, 2002, so 20 years ago, I published something called The Wrong Type of Book. Oh, yeah. An article. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where I, I recommend it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what I did is I looked at, here, um, if the Book of Mormon came from Joseph Smith's, uh, from his background, uh, then... It should match 
that's in the, the depiction of of the civilization should match the depiction of the civilization and where do we find what they thought about in of that civilization in Joseph Smith's day and precisely these books like the view of the Hebrews or the Spalding manuscript that showed what people thought this civilization was like and when you compare it it doesn't you compare the Book of Mormon on of an, or Nephite civilization so ancient civilization to uh, the ones that show up in view of the Hebrews or the Book of Pukey or um, all of these ones that they that actually do come from Joseph Smith's environment, and it's not the same at all. And you start looking at the, the details. So the Spalding manuscript has all this stuff about romance. I mean, this is contemporary with Jane Austen. You don't find romance in the Book of Mormon. In fact, the the two elements of courtship you have are just about as unromantic as far as Joseph Smith's day as you could possibly expect. Um, you know, it's it's nothing like what you find in the Spalding manuscript. Uh, and and you start looking at names, you start looking at other things that they say about it. So you have view of the Hebrews, which is this specula learned speculation about how uh, the Native Americans might be like the ancient Israelites, and um, it's not a novel, it's not a narrative. Um, the Spalding Manuscript is a narrative, but it's not finished, and reads in nothing like the Book of Mormon, doesn't have the same background. It says that the, they were, uh, that the Americas were peopled by a Roman ship that got blown off course, um, and so there are all these different things where this is not the type of book that the the Book of Mormon isn't the type of book that somebody from Joseph Smith's milieu would have predicted. Now, since then, you've also had this other thing that's come out. Um, the late war. Like the, the late war that's uh, come out, but coincides with uh, the work of Stanford Carmack and Royal Skousen. Uh, in the uh, in the Book of Mormon, and what they what came to their surprise, as well as surprise of everybody else, um, is that the language in the Book of Mormon isn't the language of Joseph Smith. It isn't the language of Joseph Smith's day. It is not even the language of the King James Bible. That's right. It's something else. It's about a hundred years earlier than that, and. Uh, and they've got uh, dozens of articles um, and probably in the thousands of pages of analysis here demonstrating that the language in the Book of Mormon is largely, there are some influences of, in, of King James phraseology, but for the most part, the language of the Book of Mormon is about 100 years before the King James Bible. Nobody was looking for that. And nobody knows really what to do with it, other than, well, that demonstrates not only that Joseph Smith didn't write it, but nobody else from Joseph Smith's well, day it wrote it. Well, just cribbed from the King James Bible either. Right, and so Stan Carmack actually has a, a nice article where he looks at the language in the late war and other mm -hmm. things and finds that it does not match the language of the Book of Mormon. And so what happens generally 
is that, you know, King James, Shakespeare, roughly contemporary, this was viewed as a classical form of English for the longest time, and still is, and you get people who try to imitate it. Um, one of my favorite was Bill Watterson in one of his Calvin and Hobbes car- cartoon strips, supposedly where you have Calvin talking to his mother, uh, both of them in, trying, in imitation Shakespearean English. And it's only two panels long, and there are all, all, kind of, all of these mistakes that Watterson makes in the Shakespearean English, English. And, you know, this is something that, and he wasn't trying to, he's trying to get the flavor of it. And everybody says, oh, yeah, this is supposed to be imitation Shakespeare. But it's imitation. It's not real Shakespearean language. Well, and he had actual Shakespearean language to to go off. He did. And, and Watterson's a very intelligent person. Mm-hmm. And he can't do it. And most of us can't do that language worth a hill of beans. And you can just see it in, in the prayers. Because these days, almost none of the young kids can get their these and thous properly in, in a prayer. They just, and even the ones who can do that aren't talking Shakespearean English. And, and we don't, we can try to imitate it, but we do a bad job, and somebody who knows what they're looking for can find the difference. Mm-hmm. But you don't see that in the Book of Mormon. It's consistent, and it's consistently early early modern English. Well, those, those articles that you're talking about, prim- most of them have been published by the interpreter. Most of them are interpreter or in the, um, in the critical text volume. Projects. Yeah, but those are also published by interpreter now i think aren't they no 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 they are um i won't get into all the technical but if you look at the publisher it's the foundation for ancient research in mormon studies okay and still the latest volumes still say that um we won't get into all of the wherefores and whys but they're unique what the these and the thous yeah, well, <laughs> well, we are getting into these and those. We're, yeah. So yeah. There, there are all these things about it. And Stan Carmack, oh, like once or twice a year, say, comes out with a new article interpreter showing how the Book of Mormon language is consistent but isn't what we expect. In uh-huh. some cases, he's taken on um, certain people who've said uh, that, who are still saying Joseph Smith is imitating King James yeah. language, and he goes after them. But he's also taken on the the, the late war and other mm-hmm. um, attempts at people in Joseph Smith's day to cast historical narratives, like the late war is for the Revolutionary War. Or Ra- war of 1812. There's another one that does the Revolutionary War, if I remember okay. right. Yeah. And, yeah. and they... And they try to write it in a King James or a Shakespearean style, and they botch it. Yeah. Nobody in Joseph yeah. Smith's day who was even trying to do it could actually do it. Mm-hmm. And the, the title of one of the articles, I would say, and I think it's from 2018, is The Book of Mormon, a Pseudo-Archaic Text. Yeah. And so anybody that wanted to find this, I would just say you go to the interpreter website, look up the journal, go to one of the indexes, and they have author's indexes, title indexes, 
you can look up Kevin Christensen or John Gee, either one, have several articles there. And I would encourage you also to look up Stanford Carmack. Um, Royal so, uh, Ben McGuire's late work against the Book of Mormon. Ben, yeah, Ben McGuire did one, and that goes all the way back to 2013. And, yeah. you know, the thing about this, Kevin and John, is I noticed that you can almost always find a response to these type of questions that goes into quite a bit of detail. I, I know there's one that kind of made my eyes glaze over a little bit, and it w- involved Bayesian statistics. Oh, yes. Oh, Rasmussen. no, gosh. Don't, don't. Yeah. Yeah. I, look, <laughs> I was an econ major in, 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 at BYU, and I had to take a statistics class. And I have to tell you, I'm, I feel confident in a lot of subjects, but statistics is not one of them. And Bayesian is is interesting to me because he, you've had a number of, say, biblical scholars call for the, like Israel Finkelstein, um, call for the use of Bayesian statistics, <clears throat> which is kind of funny since a lot of humanities majors don't do well in mathematics. Um, I'm raising my hand, but this is radio. You can't see it. And, and they... Um yeah they could they could do it uh it, it's it's a trendy uh among certain groups a trendy uh to use Bayesian statistics it's only possible because of of what we can the computer computing power that we currently have when Bayes originally proposed this sort of stuff Nobody had the computational ability to actually do the mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, in some of my recent statistical work, uh, checking out with um, Kyler and other Bayesian statistics are often misused as well. So, but you can you can use um, Kyler Rasmussen uses. The early modern English is just one point on these Bayesian mm-hmm. models. You have to find independent analyses for them to be valid. Uh, but if you're if you want to plow through the math, the math is n- not actually that difficult. But um, you can. Uh, l- Profit from Kyla Rasmussen's series. The interpreter published that. And then also I would just say that uh, Ben McGuire back in 2013 did a couple of long articles in Interpreter uh, about parallels and some of the parallels that have been found. And they run through computer printouts, and there's a lot of different techniques that they use not just to get these statistics, but to uh, essentially put forward these studies. And they did say that the late war was, hmm, uh, it looks like we're going to take a news break right now, and we will be back for some more of Interpreter Foundation Radio. Please stay tuned. <laughs> 